Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are our transfer market insiders and pundits extraordinaire, Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. This week, Paul Pogba's Manchester United future is still a major talking point, with his agent Mino Raiola working behind the scenes to secure a big move. With Barcelona primed to make a megabucks deal, we ask what's going on with United's transfer policy after a summer of apparent disarray. We've gone back to the 1970s with Norman Bites Your Legs Hunter and solidarity for the workers as footballers strike for their right to a move. We ask if Thibaut Courtois, the entire Newcastle United squad and Mateo Kovacic will have their demands met. And as the transfer window approaches rapidly and clubs scramble to get deals over the line, we often enter a twilight zone where desperate clubs make the inexplicable seem normal via catastrophic deals. We bring you six of the worst and crown a certain Spaniard as the transfer window's worst deal of all time. Well, we've talked about Paul Pogba time and again on the Transfer Window podcast. And with the latest news that Barcelona have entered the bidding, it seems like the race for Paul Pogba's signature, if there is one, is hotting up. Duncan, what's the latest on this? Well, it's something we've talked about and highlighted in the transfer window for months, um, which is that Paul Pogba's agent, Mino Raiola, has been offering his star client around the top European clubs to see whether he could get a bite. Um, partly, I think, because he can't, he feels he can't lose from that situation. Um, either he gets another transfer, and we're talking a hundred million euro plus transfer with committing commissions going to the agent, or he uses it to um, increase the player's salary at, at Manchester United. Um, we told you when uh, the Alexis Sanchez deal was being done that one of the blocks on that was an attempt by Mino Raiola to have Paul Pogba's salary increase because he felt that Sanchez's, or he'd heard that Sanchez's salary was going above Paul Pogba's top salary at the club and felt Pogba should be retained as the, as the best-paid player there. He was wrong about that, but um, by the by, he's still interested in increasing his terms, whether they're at Manchester United or elsewhere. Um, really, this situation should have been resolved months ago. I think um, it tells you a lot about Manchester United that they've got themselves into um, a situation where their best midfielder, um, the most expensive signing in the club's history, the best paid player at the club, is the subject of um, transfer discussion, subject of an offer from one of their Champions League rivals 
um, a few days before the transfer window closes in England. Um, we know, and they know, um, <laughs> there's, a, there's been a problem between Pogba and Manchester United for a while um, over what happened last season, over um, the injury he had, the cause of the injury, um, over his position in the team, his, his argument that he should do less defensive duties, that he should be played on the left-hand side of a three-man midfield, um, disputes with Josie Mourinho over that, understandably. And it, this has gone on for a long time. We've even had Pep Guardiola announcing in a press conference before the last Manchester derby of the season that he'd been offered Pogba by Raiola um, during the season. So none of this is a secret. And it was you're well, well, well aware that it could become a problem. But really, this should have been resolved early on in the sense that Manchester United should have been going to Mino Raiola and saying, what is the situation here? <laughs> What are your problems uh, with the club? Um, we do not want to sell this player. He's fundamental to um, the future of Manchester United. So do not you know, forget about offering him to other clubs because it isn't going to happen. So you, you have to ask why, why we're in a situation where this has been made public and why we're in a situation where Mino um, Raiola is happy to have the news that, uh, that Barcelona are making an offer and the offer is um, cash plus... Yeri Mina and, um, and uh, Andre Gomez, a player that, that two players that they've been trying to sell all summer in exchange for Paul Pogba. And one theory um, in the Manchester United camp is that this is a, something of a marketing exercise from Raiola. He, he knows that the chances of him getting this deal through are extremely limited because United don't want to sell and it's too late for them to sell. They won't be able to get a proper replacement in. They're talking literally the eve of the season. Um, they play their first game on Friday. But it doesn't do him any harm for Paul Pogba to be advertised as being wanted by a club like Barcelona at this time of the window and to have that discussion going on and to remind people of the player and the agent's discontent with the situation at Manchester United. But whichever way you look at it, it's not a good uh, place for the club to be in at this stage of the transfer window. What, what's the case on this, uh, Johnny, is that Mina Raiola is a very, very tenacious person. If he were a footballer, he'd be Norman, bite your legs, Hunter. If he was a dog, he'd be a wee Scottish terrier, chewing your ankles at every opportunity he gets. That's what he's doing. He's chewing Man United's ankles. He knows that he's got a World Cup winner, a World Cup final scorer on his books, whose value is even higher than it was when he transferred to Manchester United from Juventus. And he is the kind of guy who will absolutely make as much as he can of that in any way he can. Therefore, the marketing of Pogba to Paris Saint-Germain, to Real Madrid, to Barcelona, to Bayern Munich, anyone who would listen to Raiola's pitch is no surprise whatsoever. The fact that Barcelona have bitten is an interesting one. But remember that Sergio Busquets who's not the same player as Pogba, he's in his 30s now. They've lost uh, Xavi and Iniesta. They need to replenish their creative midfield. And Pogba is, I think, a viable option for them, even though, as Duncan has rightly said, the chances of getting out of Manchester United in the next 48 hours is very, very low. But it's still a problem because you've got a player who has expressed his unhappiness with the way he's been played at Manchester United. 
Um, you've got a club in Manchester United who, as I said last week, their transfer business has been shambolic. What's Pogba has gone back to training at Carrington this week. And what he's seen is one new face, a Brazilian midfielder Fred, who will play alongside him. Um, and in Pogba's, I guess, hopes will help make the midfield more fluid, more creative than it has been so far. But is Fred enough to make them title contenders, to make them Champions League contenders? Because this guy's just won the World Cup. It doesn't get any higher than that. Now, he's not won the Champions League and he's desperate to. And he's had disappointment in that competition with Juventus, as we know. And he's not won the Premier League title yet either. He needs to see ambition shown from Manchester United's side that matches his. Now, he will happily allow his Norman Hunter stroke Scottish Terrier to continue with his marketing um, until... We should point out that Norman Hunter is not a relative of Graham Hunter and is, in fact, a former footballer back when you were a teenager. I wasn't even a teenager then. I don't think I even saw Norman Hunter play. Mid-twenties? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, just, I just love the fact that his nickname was Bite Your Legs. <laughs> I, just, I love that. And I think that's what Raiola, Raiola was Bite Your Legs Raiola. That's what he does. Anyway, I, just, I, like, I think this is something which needs to be resolved. I think Jose Mourinho is the kind of manager who tried, obviously, to do it. Um, I think succeeded to a degree last season, but needs to pull Paul Pogba into his office ahead of uh, this weekend's fixtures and say, right, forget everything. As you know, the old, the classic uh, when um, uh, Cluffy took over Leeds United and said to the players there, all those medals you won, you can throw them in because you all cheated. <laughs> so maybe what Mourinho needs to do, and by the way, Norman Hunter was one of those players at Leeds United, um, to, to, to keep the analogy going. But maybe what Mourinho needs to say to Pogba is, congratulations on winning your World Cup medal, but you've got to forget that. Because now it's about Manchester United. Now it's about winning the Premier League titles, winning the Champions League title. And you have to give me your 100% commitment to doing that because you are a major player um, for us in going ahead. And if you don't, do, don't play to your potential and your agent continues to agitate, then that situation may change. I think, I think it's also evidence of how the, the changing dynamic in terms of transfer fees and salaries in the game has made it harder for clubs to deal with star players um with when you have when you pay that much money for a player which which manchester united have for paul popper when you give him the salary that they gave him you have such a huge amount invested not just financially but in the status and the image of the club um and of status and the image of the manager who's who's looking after him and and status and image of the club is obviously very important to Manchester United. They are a marketing machine. That is how um, Ed Woodward became uh, executive vice chairman of the club because of his, his marketing prowess and transfers like Pogba's and investments of that scale are done partly because of the players' uh, commercial presence and, and and media presence. But that's it's a dangerous game to play if you get into bed with not so much the wrong player, but the wrong agent. Um, if, you, if, the, if you cannot trust the agent to stick with your project, if the agent perceives, and he always, his, his loyalty will always be to the player, but if he perceives moving the player around as, a, as the, the, more, uh, the faster way um, to profit for him, then you leave yourself open to situations like this. And Manchester United, when they bought Paul Pogba, they didn't just buy Pogba, they bought 
they signed Zlatan Ibrahimovic on high wages from Mino Raiola and they signed Henrik Mkhitaryan for a substantial transfer fee as a way of facilitating um, the Pogba deal. We've seen Mkhitaryan has, uh, has been moved out, didn't fit with the manager and didn't fit with the style of football United wanted to play um, and was traded away gladly to, um, to Arsenal. But now, the, because they have this dependency on Pogba, they, they've kind of they've left themselves in a situation where they're open to this kind of uh, manipulation by Raiola, um, and they're and that affects everything about the team. It, you know, if you if you step away from Pogba wanting to leave, or Raiola trying to offer him to other clubs, and look at the Manchester United squad. Paul Pogba should still be the player that they're building around to try and win the Premier League title. He's the most skilled, um, the most creative player in that team. He's the one who can um, potentially provide the presence in midfield and deliver the balls and score goals himself. Um, do the stuff we saw him doing at the World Cup uh, and be the centrepiece of that team. But if he's not and he and the people around him aren't fully committed to the project, you've got a big problem. Um, and you will always be under this kind of pressure until, until you solve that problem and get him committed to the project. But to sell him is also a, a huge issue for them. Because so, if Manchester United did say, OK, um, we see the problems with Bogba, we see he's pushing for a move, we take the money from Barcelona um, and we reinvest it elsewhere. And that doesn't work immediately this season. Um, I think you know, you, the, the ramifications of that are huge. Um, the, the criticism that would come under, criticism the manager would come under, the criticism Woodward would come under. Um, it's the, the impact of one player in, foot, in, in a football club has never been bigger than it is these days. And, that, and I think that's purely a product of the cost of signing top players in the modern era. So one of the, the biggest problems, obviously... It, in this potential transfer, and as we've said, it's highly unlikely to happen, is that if Manchester United were to sell him, who would they get in? I mean, uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic is someone we've spoken about a lot on the podcast. Um, he's younger. Uh, he fits the same kind of um, uh, phototype as Pogba in terms of physicality, ability, vision, passing range, etc. Is available from Lazio. would cost less to buy than, than um, United could sell Pogba for. But again, I mean, the logistics of any transfer in terms of medical, in terms of you know, settling the terms of the deal, international clearance, um, as well as um, any particular aspects to do with um, what happens with the players' families, etc., which becomes an issue in modern-day transfers more and more, especially for young players like Savage. <clears throat> it's just one of those things which you, you cannot see. These things can't be done that quickly. And, and therefore, Pogba, as I said, is going to have to settle down, get with the project at Manchester United and convince Mourinho that he is 100% committed. Um, uh, it's, it's worthwhile just noting briefly that in the Fergie days, <clears throat> if Mina Raiola was around and it was his, uh, he was the agent of his biggest and most important player, then Fergie would have called the player and said, fire agent. And if you didn't, then you'd go play with under-21s. Uh, you can't do that now because the players have the power. So this is a problem ongoing for Manchester United because, like Duncan, I believe that Pogba will start for Manchester United this weekend and the Premier League will certainly be there for the foreseeable future.
Well, one of the questions I would have about any deal with regards to Pogba to Barcelona, Duncan, is that we've touched on in the past with regards to uh, Barcelona and their enormous wage bill. Leo Messi is on an incredible amount of money. They've already spent an enormous amount on Coutinho. They've spent over £100 already in this transfer window. So where is that money coming from? And can they fulfil the criteria set down by financial fair play if they are to make this deal happen? There's a couple of things. Barcelona recently announced that, that they were they were going to have record revenues for the last financial year, and they they say they're on course to having revenues of over a billion euros in the next couple of years. Obviously, the the record revenues for the last year were inflated by the the forced sale of Neymar, but they are producing more money as a club, for certain than they ever have before. And and the question I asked that question that you just put to me to a Barcelona contact this morning and you know how how would they be able to fund Pogba after you know contact said yeah this is serious they they, they really don't they really want to do it um, and the answer was um, Antoine Scaredicat as uh, Ian likes to call him um, there was a provision in their budget to spend 100 million euros plus um, to extract Antoine Griezmann from um, Atletico Madrid also to give him a huge salary um, and uh, Antoine backed out at the last minute so that money is still sitting there uh, and that would be redirected to the Pogba deal um, in addition to what they've spent another surprising deal in fact in, in bringing Arturo Vidal from Bayern Munich. Um, I think what interesting thing for Barcelona is to ask what they're trying to do there because I, I mean, as Ian's pointed out they have lost um, two key midfielders in the in the last couple of seasons, but um, bringing Arturo Vidal and Pogba into the midfield is a very fundamental change of style um, for Barcelona. Um, so, where they could, even with even the introduction of Vidal is interesting to see where they where they take that and how they use him in this coming season. If he's going to be a starter every week, or he's going to be used in his special situations when they when they need more dynamism in midfield. But Vidal's not the technical type of midfielder they've had. And while Pogba is extremely technical, his his strength isn't short, tight passing. He's he's better um, at the longer passing game. So both of those would would be a, would be a big change to the side, but I'm told that financially they can do it, and obviously they, they've got themselves in this um, good position with players like Yeri Mina, who they have been trying to offload to raise cash and to open up um, room in their squad. They've already sold uh, Lucas Digne to Everton. Everton will take Yeri Mina from uh, from Barcelona if they can get him, um, which will be another. Uh, 35 million to 45 million euro deal. But Mina is a target for Manchester United, who have still got to find the, the centre back that, um, that Jose Mourinho has been asking for. He's also wanted by Olympic Lyon. So, you know, as, as far as offloading players go, Barcelona have got themselves in a great situation with a, with a centre back who initially they'd entered this window thinking, we'll put him on loan to another. Um, uh, European club to give him a bit of experience and then bring him back. And they saw his price inflate so dramatically after his World Cup performances, the decision was said, OK, well, we're just going to cash in here and take the money from, from the biggest bidder and the, the club Mina decides to go to. Um, and that's an interesting situation in itself in that Everton 
I'm told, have agreed a fee with Barcelona, and they've also um, agreed uh, salary terms with Mina, but they don't have the signature on the contract. And for what I'm hearing from the Everton end is that they are concerned that they won't get the player in the end because um, because of Manchester United's interest, because of Lyon's interest. It seems that Mina would may prefer to go to Lyon over Everton and would definitely prefer to go to Manchester United over Everton. Um, Manchester United have some issues with the uh, the agents' fees involved and haven't fully agreed. And they're uh, scrambling around the market, making offers for players like Jerome Boateng. Um, they're trying to get back in and, and see if they can get the price down for Toby Alderweireld. They're even still thinking about making a, um, a what would be a world record, uh, what would have to be a world record bid. Um, to sign Harry Maguire was just if, if you said to anyone six months ago the idea of a world record bid for a defender and Harry Maguire being in the same sentence they'd just have laughed at you but that shows you I think um, the mess Manchester United have got themselves into over what has obviously been a key area to reinforce for well essentially for two years never mind um, for the, the duration of this window. Um, you've always got to have a, a plan B um... I'm not convinced Manchester United do have a plan B because obviously we've already spoken about the um, where they operate in the transfer window. But I do think that Daniel Levy is fully expecting to, uh, let's just say, exploit Manchester United yet again in the way they did uh, in, the, in the past with Michael Carrick, Demi Berbatov, and they've, uh, they've taken players from Tottenham on, on deadline day at uh, inflated prices. Um, it's my understanding that United have agreed personal terms with Alderweireld and it's just up to uh, Levy to sort out the fee for a player who's got one year left in his contract. So I think if Yuri Mina um, or any of the other players that Duncan has mentioned don't come in, which looks Mina looks most likely, Maguire looks very unlikely, then I think they will return back to Alderweireld and it will be one of those classic Tottenham-Manchester United negotiations right up to the final minutes uh, of 5pm on Thursday. I think, I think you're right, Ian. I think uh, Alderweireld's salary is not an issue because he's so poorly paid at Tottenham. Um, Manchester United can easily increase that um, within their pay scale. Um, the, the question is who blinks because uh, Alderweireld, as you say, has got one year left in his contract, but Tottenham have an option to extend it for a further year. If they extend it for a further year, then a, a release clause comes into his contract, allowing him to leave for £25 million next summer. So that's, that's kind of the negotiating room Manchester United have is to say, well, we can have this player for £25 million in a year's time. Um, so we're not paying the, the 75 million or 60 million that you're asking. Um, bring it down to a reasonable compromise figure and we'll do that. But you know, you've got to underline here that none of these are the perfect signings. Alderweireld has been on Manchester United's list for a long time, but he wasn't the, uh, the absolute preferred target for Mourinho. Mina's come in as an alternative, high-quality player who Manchester United have scouted for a long time. They, they see his ability but and, and could potentially be the best of those players in the, in the sense you're getting a 23-year-old with the physical um, credentials and, and, a, and a, an obvious fit to the way um, Jose Mourinho likes his defenders to play. Um, but 
you're taking a risk of, of the adaptation into the Premier League. And what Mourinho wanted was a finished product central defender who would lead the defence, who would be top class from the start. So you, there are compromises there. Whatever happens, they're compromising and they're doing the deal at absolutely the wrong time. This is the time when you get exploited. This is the time when prices go up. This is the time when you overpay for um, for salary. This is the time, even if you leave it too late, you make a mess of the medical because you don't have time to do the medicals properly. It's just, this is the risk period. And, and remember, every time you hear Josie Mourinho talking about the transfer window in the past, he emphasises how important it is for him to get deals done early, to get players in early, get them into training camp early, to know what he's working with. Manchester United have done the opposite of that this summer. Okay, Duncan, before I entirely change the subject, uh, I believe you have some news about a transfer window column. Yes, the podcast now has a, a column, um, a weekly column in the Daily Record, um, part of the uh, special Saturday um, football supplement that the record will be doing throughout the season. And um, you can uh, read more of uh, the sort of kind of in detail discussion that we, we do in the podcast in, in that column every week. And there's also um, a wonderful picture of Johnny McFarlane in, that, uh, in, the, in the image in the column, which has got to be worth buying the paper for itself. Looking very handsome, uh, no doubt. I've not seen it yet, but I'm, I'm sure because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a deep, I'm like George Clooney on a bad day. Um, or a good day, even. <laughs> and, and not even prepared to read the column in your own newspaper on the first weekend of publication. Oh, dear, oh dear. I was on holiday, to be fair. And I think it's also worth pointing out that the, the column will be online, so if anyone wants to see it, I'm sure Duncan will tweet it out when uh, the link becomes available. Yes, the, the first week's column's on my uh, Twitter feed at present. Okay, well, despite our excitement at the vast sums that we see spent in big clubs and big leagues uh, like the Premier League. On the transfer window, we like to think of ourselves as good Scottish socialists and Ian McGarry. Now, we touched on... I was expecting a laugh there, so I might I just... was laughing. I was laughing. <laughs> Behind my microphone, I, I covered it well. <laughs> we touched on strike action last week, brothers and sisters, so in the... Smooth... Comrades, comrades. Comrades, yes, that's better, Ian, Sorry. I was going for the Tommy Sheridan thing there. But in the spirit of solidarity with uh, the workers seizing the means of production, we should touch on Thibaut Courtois' plight sitting outside Cobham training ground with his brazier. Burning brightly, Johnny, burning brightly. <laughs> Asking his teammates not to cross the picket line as they go to training in the morning. He's a man who's refused to turn up for training on the basis that the club have known for six months, which, to be fair to him, is is, is kind of accurate. He refused to sign a new deal that they put to him last year. He refused again in January. He refused again in March. He's been very clear with him. He said, you know, I've got one year left in my deal after this. I want to leave. I want to go to Real Madrid. It's my dream. You know, my family's there, my kid's there, etc., etc., etc. Chelsea, a bit like Manchester United, should have sorted this out months ago. You know, they, they've been dragging their heels on this. I don't know what they thought was going to happen when they've got a player who refuses to sign a deal worth almost £300,000 a week as a goalkeeper. I mean, that's incredible salary for any footballer. And your goalkeepers tend to be less well-paid than outfield players. But they've offered that and he turned it down. He made it clear that his, what his family situation is. He made it, his agents made it clear that he wants to go to Real Madrid. All of, all of which is fine, but... If I were Chelsea, I'd be negotiating the fee for that player five, six months ago, three months ago, last month even, 
in order to get you know the best possible deal for the club and take that forward. But while doing so, make sure that they get a replacement. And who isn't Rob Green, the 38-year-old former QPR West Ham United goalkeeper who <laughs> the club said on their official uh, website and release would be a backup to Thibaut Courtois. It's like, please delete where you see the lie here. <laughs> it's not going to be a backup to Courtois because he's leaving. So, um, you know, it's an astonishing situation for Chelsea to find themselves in because they've had one of the best goalkeepers in the world um, for the last four years. Uh, and they sold Petr Cech as a result of that to Arsenal. And yet they still haven't recruited a replacement. Jan Oblak does have a buyout clause of around £86 million from Atletico. That would be, if they wanted to, they could obviously trigger that. But with one year contract, I'm told by people close to Courtois that they don't expect Chelsea to, to recruit any more than maybe £50, £60 million for him. So they will still be spending in excess of what they're gaining from selling their best goalkeeper. Um, alternatively, we've got a Jack Butland at Stoke, who has been very consistent, but did play in a relegated team. There have been a lot of questions about his concentration. Is it the case that he can do better if he's playing in a bigger team where he's not being you know, sort of shot at as much as he would be in a team of relegated, etc.? Well, these are all questions which have yet to be answered. But they'd have to move, that's for sure, and move quickly. They have, you know, as I said, 5pm Thursday to get this sorted out. Remember, Kutra can still be sold up until the 31st of August to Real Madrid. So the whole issue of the Premier League um, getting the machine gun out and shaking themselves on both feet is coming to a head here. We've discussed it before. Now here's the reality. Uh, and that's a massive position, a huge player for Chelsea to replace. Uh, they've got effectively 40 hours to do it. Um, and then Courtois can be allowed to leave. Or they keep an unhappy player and then you've got all the emotional, mental and physical aspects of what his performance is going to be like should they do so. Massive, massive problem for Chelsea. Um, and just to briefly, ex- along this striking analogy uh, and indeed practicality, uh, to mention uh, here that uh, Newcastle United players are striking, uh, not speaking to media because of uh, a bonus row. And they've also got uh, Kovacic at Real Madrid, who has um, set up a similar brazier outside the Ciudad de Sport in Madrid and is asking his teammates not to cross that picket line because he wants to leave Real Madrid. And Duncan, I think you've got some more news on that in terms of a possible succour to Chelsea. Yeah, just on, on, on Courtois first, I do have a bit of sympathy for Chelsea in the sense that they don't have much leverage on the transfer fee here simply because Courtois had told them, I'm not signing a new contract, I'm going to leave and I want to go to Madrid. Um, so Real Madrid know that they have the player, um, hook, line and sinker, and, and they know there's a year left in contract and Chelsea don't have a good negotiating position, so they're keeping the, the offer down. And I think uh, the current offer stands at about €40 million. Euros. I don't think it will go substantially above that. Um, and Courtois is making it clear that he's not coming away from the brazier anytime soon. He's striking. He will not be going back to training until he's got his move. And it, it should be noted, Courtois did this before, early on in his career, ironically, to force his transfer from Belgium to Chelsea. So um, Chelsea should very well know the player's mind by now. But there is no excuse for not having uh, a replacement goalkeeper in place. Uh, goalkeepers actually have a pretty easy position to sign in football. Um, Generally, clubs that there's not usually a very liquid market of goalkeepers. Generally, not many, not many clubs chasing the same goalkeeper at time. So you pick your target, 
um, and you offer a reasonable price and transfer fees for goalkeepers tend to be lower than other positions anyway, uh, and, and you get someone in. Um, they're still looking at various options. All Black, you mentioned, I, I, I'd be extremely surprised if they're prepared to pay 100 million euros for a, a replacement goalkeeper. I know they're still um, in discussions with Kasper Schmeichel, um, no offer to Leicester as yet, but the, the, they've kept that as, as a potential choice. Kovacic is an interesting one to talk about. Um, it seems that Kovacic has been offered to Chelsea to help facilitate um, the Courtois deal, um, i.e. Real Madrid are saying to Chelsea, look, we've got a player here um, who is trying to get out of our club. Um, we know you need further re reinforcements in midfield. We know you've got problems um, getting a replacement goalkeeper. So let's take your midfield um, issue away from you and we'll let you have Kovacic for a, uh, on loan for a season um, and you can concentrate on getting the goalkeeper in. What is questionable to me is whether Kovacic will agree to that deal. Um, the reason why is that he's one of the players that um, Chiki Bergiristan has been investigating as, a, um, as an answer to Pep Guardiola's demand for um, a, an experienced, high-quality midfielder um, to go in as a, as a, to share duties with Fer Fernandinho, not really a backup to share duties. Um, and from what I understand, that is still um, alive or has been a live possibility this week. So um, they, to get that deal to happen, they will have to hope that Manchester City don't come in with a substantial offer um, because I would say the likelihood would be that if Kovacic is given uh, the option of choosing between Manchester City and, and Chelsea, he will choose Manchester City. Um, so yeah, there's um, there's there's a lot of this. This is kind of a classic end of window scenario when you get lots of of, of uh, options coming into play and deals trying to be broken over uh, one particular move. Um, and again, it's a, the the kind of scenario when clubs can get themselves into trouble if they if they make the wrong decisions in short periods of time. And Chelsea have a very big decision to make over the goalkeeper in a very short period of time. Okay, guys, we're moving across London to Arsenal, where Stan Kroenke looks to make a £600 million move to achieve 100% ownership of Arsenal. The fans are unhappy, so is it fair to suggest that once again, off-field manoeuvres are getting in the way of the club creating a united front? Duncan? I think, I think, it, I think it's a very bad look. I, I think... Um... <laughs> To, I, I, can, I know why Stan Kroenke is doing this. Um, Alisher Usmanov has given up on his attempt to buy the club and he's agreed to sell at that price. This allows Kroenke to take the club private, which has huge advantages for him in that he doesn't have to have any shareholders meetings from now on. He doesn't have to have a, a, a room full of angry Arsenal fans pouring through the club accounts um, asking why money has been spent on this and not spent on that, why there's over 100 million in, in the bank um, and the, the squad is still um, subpar. Um, all of that's removed and he can essentially do, uh, as Arsenal Supporters Trust have, have intimated in their statement about this, he can, he can do all kinds of things in the background should he want to in terms of paying himself and his family management fees out of uh, club profits or club revenue, 
Um, it just just makes the whole club um, finances and running of the club oblique. Um, and Arsenal fans do not like that idea. Moreover, he's chosen to do this, to spend or commit to spending £600 million to buying the club out a few days before the transfer window closes, in a period in which um, Arsenal fans, although they've, you know, Arsenal have recruited well, I think, to the extent they've been able to with the budget they've had to play with, which they've spent around £70 million in transfer fees. Um, £70 million in transfer fees is dwarfed by the £600 million that Kroenke's prepared to put into buying the rest of the club um, for his own personal profit. He's not doing this for any other reason um, than he sees it as being a uh, of financial value to himself and his family uh, down the line. So if you're going to do this, I would have thought you'd have done it once the transfer window was closed rather than, than rubbing it in the, in the fans' faces and saying that we're going to spend money on this, but um, we still haven't um, provided your new coach with all the players he would like. Um, they still want a right winger. They'd like another centre-back. And they still haven't tied down their um, arguably their best midfielder to a new contract and may potentially, um, if they feel that they're not going to be able to tie Aaron Ramsey down to a new contract, they might end up selling him in the last few days of the window. And that would be an even worse look for Stan Kroenke and, and Arsenal. The, the problem, I, which I absolutely sympathise with Arsenal fans on this one, is that this is heading down the road of the Glazers and Manchester United, where, as Duncan rightly said, there can be um, an extraction of money from Arsenal, the same as it has been for years, at Manchester United to pay huge dividends and salaries to family members of the, um, the, the sole shareholder. In this case, it would be the Kronka family and in Manchester United, the Glazers. Um, what we know as well about Stan Kronka, uh, over the years that he has had the majority of the Arsenal is that he is not in it for trophies because if he was, they would have invested far more money than they have in um, creating a squad that was capable of challenging for the Premier League and Champions League on a regular basis. So why would he change his mind about that now that he has complete control over the club? Why would he spend more money and he can now say, it's my money, I don't want to spend it because he is the sole owner then why would you do, spend more money to invest uh, to make Arsenal more challenging than they have been in the last decade? He's not going to. Um, this is purely about him making money for himself. Because when he sells Arsenal, eventually, as he will, or his family will, then he will make a huge profit from what he bought. I mean, the £600 million for um, Usmanov's shares is, is piecemeal compared to, to what Arsenal's valuation. Probably the market cap after the uh, the takeover will be 1.8 billion, but in two, three, five years' time, that's going to be well in excess of two billion. <clears throat> so again, from the money spent in the, uh, initially to acquire the majority shareholding to what he will get when he is the sole or shareholder, is huge. Um, and unfortunately for him, high on his list of priorities is not reinvesting that capital in the team. It's about maintaining financial stability and uh, financial prudence in order that Arsenal simply turn over a profit every season. And that's a shame. And that's why I feel sorry for Arsenal fans about this because if it were another investor coming in and saying, look, I'll buy the £600 million worth of shares from Usmanov, but in that same purchase, I'm going to put £200 million more money, money up just to spend on players. OK, doing it two days before the transfer window closes is not the best time. 
and it's not the best time for um, Kronka to announce this either, as Duncan has pointed out. But the point is, um, Arsenal are not going in the right direction with regards to challenging for trophies. And if Emery does keep them um, in the mix this season for the Premier League or Champions League, then that will be one of the greatest training performances of all time because it will come from the training pitch and not from the transfer budget. I think, I think Ian, um, what, you, what you mentioned about winning trophies there is something that stuck out to me in the statement that Kroenke's um, company made about this purchase. And they, they said, KSE's ambitions for the club are to see it competing consistently to win the Premier League and Champions League. Not to see it winning the Premier League and Champions League, but to see it competing consistently to win the Premier League and Champions League, as well as the major trophies in the women's senior game and at youth level. And that, that it just does not come across. <laughs> it's a, laughable, Duncan. It's laughable for a club yeah. like Arsenal. It's, and, it's, and it's scandalous as well. And do you know what? We had all those protests and all the distraction of Wenger stays, Wenger goes last season. Watch out for more protests this season. It'll be about Kronka and the spending. And, uh, you know, who knows? They might have comrades, Courtois, Kovacic and Magpies with them on the, on the picket line. Uh, just to express solidarity with the Arsenal fans regarding the way things are being run there. Uh, I can say it's going to be a winter of discontent, that's all I'm saying. Tune in to Arsenal Fan TV. <laughs> Your favourite, Johnny. <laughs> the transfer window is looking for a new sponsor. A deal would put your company at the top of our show and expose your brand to the thousands of transfer window listeners. If this is something that appeals, please get in touch via the usual channels on social media. Moving on to a player that has been heavily speculated uh, will be moving on from his current club, Borussia Dortmund, is Christian Pulisic. Duncan, I believe you have some news on the American player. Yeah, I, I think um, we could see a transfer in this window. Um, the, he's a player who is of interest to essentially all the top clubs in England. Um, it's one of, one of those fascinating things, and he's, he's a very skillful, um, precocious talent. Uh, at 19 years of age, has been um, a key player in the Borussia Dortmund team for two seasons. Um, and he also comes with the status of being the, uh, the biggest name in the American game. So in this world in which commercial income is uh, of huge focus to all the top uh, football clubs, he has that massive additional commercial appeal, which is making uh, chief executives look at doing deals and asking their scouting department whether it can be justified in terms of his performance on the pitch. Um, Liverpool have actually bid for the player um, uh, several years ago. Um, he was a player that Jurgen Klopp, when he was Dortmund manager, brought into the, uh, into the, the senior training squad. And they bid for him several years ago um, to try and get him at a low price. I think they are not going to bid uh, this summer. I know Chelsea have had a long, hard look at him as a, as a potential replacement where Hazard to leave and where William to leave. He was one of the, one of the players that they've been examining whether a deal could happen. But I think um, the most likely destination for him as things stand is Bayern Munich. Um, we mentioned Arturo Vidal earlier in the programme. I'm told that one of the reasons that Vidal was sold was to, um, to raise revenue to enable the purchase of Pulisic. Um, Bayern have been working on, on a deal um, in the background for quite a long time. 
his situation with Dortmund is that he only has two years left in his contract. Um, Dortmund realise that they're going to lose the player. Um, he won't sign a new contract. Therefore, they now have been placed in the sort of decision period of do we retain him for one more year um, and lose him at less of a transfer fee in a year's time or do we sell him now or uh, this is the the alternative the kind of Naby Keita solution which is being floated which is they do a deal with a club who wants to sign him um, badly um, and but the deal will only be completed in a year's time so he would they would get one more year of him playing and get a substantial transfer fee for him that I think is one of the possibilities we could see happen before the end of the window is that Bayern Munich either buy the player outright or they put a deal in place um, to buy him in a year's time. And I think from, from my information is that Bayern Munich are the most likely destination for Pulisic as things stand because it allows him to develop in a league that he already knows and has already succeeded in and move on to the biggest team in that league, guaranteed trophies. Um, the idea being you, you develop on the Champions League level and develop as a professional footballer in the, the safest environment while um, substantially increasing your wages and um, moving yourself into a higher status position in the world game. OK, moving on, as Mr McGarry's battery and as uh, summer holiday seems to be uh, coming to coming to its, uh, its natural uh, conclusion, unfortunately, we will go to the, the quickfire round, the famous quickfire round, and uh, discuss the worst transfers in Premier League history. Now, of course, it is the time of year when clubs tend to make bad decisions, so it does seem an apt point in time to move on to such a topic. So, without further ado, before the battery runs out, Ian... What's your worst ever Premier League transfer? Right, well, we, worst ever. I think Duncan and I will have to split on that one, Johnny. But I, I, Andy Carroll from Newcastle to uh, to Liverpool for thirty-five million pounds springs to mind. Um, a player who was patently not suited to Liverpool's style of play, but had scored a couple of nice goals against Arsenal from the eighteen-yard line with his head, and suddenly he became a thirty-five million pound player. Uh, Ken Douglas, I believe, was the man who made the decision. Um, great player himself, not necessarily a great judge of a player. Um, so, Carroll, to, to, I mean, there was a, also a great story which I have to have to tell. Uh, and if you remember that dreadful day when um, he uh, played for Liverpool against Newcastle United, he was on one on one, then got through on the goalkeeper, and then literally fell over himself as he tried to score against his former team. Went to a nightclub that night. Bouncer says to him, this is Newcastle, by the way, Baja Beach Club, big man, you shouldn't be in here. They went, why no, man? The 2-1? It's like, yeah, but you're a Liverpool player, you're a Liverpool player now. Aye, what, so what? <laughs> so, sorry for the bad Geordie accent, but you know. I was going to say, it's uh, Andy Carroll turned a South African. South African <laughs> Welshman, obviously. Uh, so, Arid Pitts, uh, that's, my, that's my number one for the moment, certainly. Right, well, one of the worst ones for me actually ties in with, um, with Andy Carroll and, and um, as those, those Liverpool fans are always telling you about net spend, um, the, the excuse for Andy Carroll is that uh, he was actually a minus £50 million spend because they got £50 million for Fernando Torres um, the same day, basically, um, as, they, as they signed Andy Carroll. And uh, this was uh, 
what a clever bit of business by Liverpool in that they um, they knew that Fernando Torres had a chronic um, irreparable um, injury um, and suspected that he was never going to reach the same level again. And uh, they knew that, that uh, Roman Abramovich had been desperate to sign the player for a long time. Um, Chelsea had, uh, had had a terrible um, start to the 2010-11 season. Um, managed to get rid of Deco, Balak, Balotelli and, and Ricardo Carvalho in one window and uh, instructed Carlo Ancelotti, who just won the Premier League, um, to promote five uh, youth team players into the squad in their place. Um, surprise, surprise, the results didn't go very well. So in January, they decided to splash the money on Torres. But Liverpool waited until deadline day to agree the fee and to allow Torres to go down to Chelsea for his medical. Um, which was not a complete medical, um, so um, they weren't able able uh, or they went ahead with the deal regardless, having not done a full medical on a player who Liverpool knew to have um, physical problems. Ian, yeah, I think I think there's a case for for Johnny for Winston Bohardar when he signed uh, to Chelsea. Um, this is a guy who actually, to be fair, in terms of um, fee paid, it was a free transfer. But what happened with Bohardar was. Um, Chelsea gave him a four-year contract in excess of 60 grand a week and probably spent, so therefore, around £15 million on a player who made quite a handful of appearances. I think it was less than 30, if my memory serves me correctly. But legendarily amongst the Chelsea squad, because at the time that was old Harlington training ground, and anyone who's ever been down that way, um, it's peppered by the Jets landing at Heathrow. Literally over the training pitches, the Jets are coming in at about, I don't know, 500 metres above you. And what Boharda did was he bought a season ticket, like the kind of like if you bought a, I don't know, a bus season pass or a train season pass um, for your local commute. This is what Boharda did with KLM. Uh, other airlines are available, obviously. Um, and he basically came into um, Heathrow around sort of 8 a.m. every morning, um, went to training at Chelsea at Harlington, caught the 130 back to Amsterdam. And had a life of Riley, as I'm led to believe, um, in Amsterdam, and did that for four years, um, not really returning much of what Chelsea had invested in him. So I think he's got, got to go down as one of the worst transfers as well. Duncan? I think uh, Juan Sebastian Veron also um, qualifies as, as a, an embarrassing transfer from Premier League point of view. Another um, player who was signed for a record sum. Um, initially by Manchester United in 2000, uh, 24.3 million euros, I think the, the fee was, uh, to bring him from Italy and a player that uh, Sir Alex Ferguson wanted to um, rebuild Manchester United around and, and make the, the midfield, the creative midfield centrepiece of his team. And that's the kind of, I mean, for all we recognise Ferguson has been one of the great team builders and one of the great exponents of the transfer market. That probably um, Veron was the, the biggest mistake of his career and, and shows that even you know the greatest of managers aren't untouchable when it comes to the transfer market. But I actually think the worst deal was in two years' time when Chelsea bought Veron from um, Manchester United after he'd failed to do anything of any substance in those two years for £15 million, which doesn't seem much now, but was still a substantial fee at the time. So, you know, when you see a guy's come and uh, been brought by the best team 
um, for a large amount of money and he doesn't do anything for them. And then you decide to spend not quite the same amount of money, but in the same region to bring him to your team, um, you, you probably should be aware it's an accident waiting to happen. And um, and it was in Veron's case because he hardly played for Chelsea and had to be moved on um, at a big loss not long after. Ian? Uh, I'd say Robinho, I'm a little bit torn by this one, Johnny, if I'm honest. Um, this is a player who came with a massive reputation. Those who remember those um, very dramatic scenes getting near to closing the transfer window um, in Madrid. He gave a press conference, which was unauthorised by Real Madrid, in which he, he pleaded and indeed cried like a baby for the club to sell him. His agent, uh, who was based in Brazil, was then woken up, and this was the old days, by a phone call to then sign a fax which would sell him to Manchester City for a then record £45 million, if, again, I, I think that's correct. Now, when I say I'm torn, I'm torn because he was a lovely player, very skillful, but he, again, he just wasn't physically nor mentally suited to the rigours of the Premier League. And the money that City paid for him up front, as well as the wages, which were very high at the time, couldn't justify um, what Robinho uh, sort of gave back in terms of the performances and goals and everything else. And um, he's one of those guys who forever been remembered as a bit of a fancy Dan, who, yeah, we're pleased to have seen him play. But also, again, you know, in, in sort of folklore, he thought he was going to Manchester United. And when he turned up in Manchester and they drove him to Manchester City, he's, he was like, why is the shirt blue? <laughs> and Duncan, round us off with your final choice. Um, another Roman Abramovich record signing. Um, uh, do you see a pattern here, <laughs> listeners? Um, Andrei Shevchenko, uh, another striker that Roman Abramovich had pursued for years and years and years and tried to sign. Uh, another striker he was able to sign when the, the, the club who had him, AC Milan, um, realised that his physical condition wasn't um, the greatest and it would be opportune to cash in. Um, record transfer fee, joined Chelsea 2006. Um, he, in the three subsequent seasons, two at Chelsea um, and one back at AC Milan on loan, he managed to score a sum total of nine top flight goals. Um, so another um, sum of money invested in a player who, who the owner thinks uh, is going to be the solution to all his problems up front um, and actually uh, only increased the problems up front for the club that bought him. And Duncan, just finally, given that Ian has uh, left the building or his phone has just died, um, out of the six mentioned, what, what do you think is the worst one? <sighs> it's very hard, actually. Um, I think probably Fernando Torres is the worst one just because of the, the dimension of the fee and um, and the way in which that deal happened, the deadline day um, shenanigans and, and you know Chelsea being duped uh, and being more excited about the name of a player than, than having done their, their due diligence in the background because this is, that is a deal that could have been avoided with a bit of um, a bit of uh, detective work um, in advance. Absolutely. Well, uh, I think uh, the Premier League clubs will be desperate that they don't have another Fernando Torres on their hands, certainly at that stage of his career by the end of this transfer window. 
In terms of the podcast, that's it for us. Just a wee reminder that we are looking for a sponsor. So if you like the idea of partnering with one of the UK's best football podcasts and talking directly to our listeners about your brand, get in touch through our social media channels. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter and even have our own Transfer Window official account at Transfer Podcast. We're trying to build a community on that account so everyone who follows will get a follow back. In terms of the guys, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane and more importantly, our pundits are at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, Give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review as this really helps us reach as many listeners as possible. We'll be back next Tuesday before 3pm. Until then, thanks for listening.